From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Seven minutes after 12. Happy Friday to those of you getting ready for the weekend. I hope wherever I find you, I find you well. Fantastic show, as all the hosts like to say at the beginning of their three-hour slot. But I believe it because we're going to cover a lot of stuff over the next three hours. We're going to get into everything from SFU's new report revealing a really concerning teen mental health struggle in our province. We're going to be talking about that at the high school level as well. And the future of transit in Surrey and the South Fraser region is on our to-do list, as well as Anita Huberman from the Surrey Board of Trade will stop by. But we want wanted to get into this. I was talking about this with Mike uh, in our crossover. The request from naturopaths who are asking for the right to prescribe safer drug supply here in BC. Uh, it is a request that quote unquote is under review, but let's get the latest on this from Dr. Deborah Fair. She's a Prince George naturopath kind enough to join us on the Joe Bennett show. Doctor, good afternoon. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm okay. It's a really interesting topic to me because I know that there's people that are split on naturopaths as a whole, but you guys have all the credentials to be able to make prescriptions, and now you're asking to just simply be able to help. That's right. Naturopathic doctors have been regulated in BC for 100 years. We've been prescribing prescription medication for 13. We can prescribe almost a 1,000 drugs in BC, um, but we can't prescribe the medication that we need to be able to prescribe to treat patients with opioid use disorder. And so that's our request is, please, Minister, um, give us access to the medication we need to help uh, treat these patients who are uh, at risk of death from our toxic drug supply. I know that the ministers are are going to say, yeah, we're going to review this, but have you gotten any indication that this request is going to be, you know, granted at some point, or is this just kind of on the to-do list? Uh, well, that's a great question. The We sent a letter to Minister Whiteside's office on November 16th. Uh, we sent a follow-up on November 24th, and actually we sent a second letter to her office yesterday. Um As far as I know, we haven't had a response, but I I did hear on CBC Radio this morning uh, that her office has received the letter and is reviewing it, so I'm really excited to hear that. Um, But no, we haven't actually officially heard from the minister about this. You know, Doctor, I see the numbers here, an estimated 225,000 people just in B.C. at the risk of death or injury from drug use, but just 5,000 people actually have access to prescribed safer supply. Uh, Does that number surprise you, and how do you think you'd be able to help bring that number down? So that's a huge number. Um, I'm not surprised to hear that number. Um, So how can naturopathic doctors help? Well, we're licensed as primary care providers, we're already seeing these patients. Uh, We treat patients in our office every day. We order labs, we refer out. Um, So these are patients we're already seeing. All that we're asking is to be given the tools that we need to be able to treat this population specifically with opioid use disorder. Um, And so We're asking the minister to let us practice to our full scope of practice. And this is about patient safety. This is about saving lives. And this is about access to health care. And so we have 630 prescribers. We're already 
living in the communities in BC that are disproportionately affected by both the toxic drug supply, the opioid crisis, and the lack of primary care providers. So we have 800 naturopathic doctors licensed, 630 are prescribers, and quite frankly, we just want to help. I would imagine that you guys are able to get into certain regions in this province. Like, you you know, you think of the island, you think of the interior. Um, we focus, of course, because we're in downtown Vancouver, a lot on the east side. But yeah, I would imagine that you guys can get to all parts of this province. Well, that's a really good point, because we are already practicing in communities that are, I would say, disproportionately affected by lack of primary care providers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm referring to medical doctors, I'm referring to nurse practitioners. Naturopathic doctors, essentially our scope of practice is very similar to both medical doctors and nurse practitioners. And so all I'm asking is that we be given the opportunity to prescribe these medications, which are the mainstay of treatment for this vulnerable population. Do you think there might be some connection with the fact that right now some in the province are assessing this safer supply and and wondering if this is the long-term approach? Because, I mean, the way that you have kind of laid it out for me seems obvious that this should be something that the province is doing. But do you feel like maybe you're running side by side with them trying to assess where they are with the safer supply as opposed to just asking you guys to join the cause, for lack of a better phrase? I don't know, Rob. I wouldn't want to speculate. I haven't spoken to the minister, so I I really don't want to um, speculate on on what she or her ministry is planning to do. You know, I I do want to say, though, that I I know that Minister Whiteside is working very hard. I know that she is committed to um, to this issue. And so I just want to acknowledge that uh, it's a huge issue. Um, that there is no simple answer and that um, I believe that naturopathic doctors, I I believe that another 630 prescribers will help this toxic drug supply and this opioid crisis and the primary care provider shortage as well. Dr. Fair, it's great insight. I'm going to open up the phones on the other side of the break, but I do appreciate your time today and let's speak again. Absolutely. Five minutes after 12, Rob Fame working my way till three o'clock for the final time this week. Jill will be back in her regular time slot next week. She's been filling in for Simi. So if you're looking for Jill Bennett, she's been working bright and early in the mornings. Jazz Joe Hall will join us at three o'clock. Well, I was very fortunate all through my childhood. I always had a little bag of lunch to take with me to school. Sometimes I ate the whole thing. Sometimes I left the apple behind. But nonetheless, there was always something there for me. And I'm very fortunate when I look back on my childhood. But you're seeing more and more kids showing up at school without a lunch kit and without the opportunity to nourish themselves over the course of the day, which is uh, becoming more and more of a challenge. One fine woman has decided that she's going to take this on herself. Uh, She shouldn't be, but she is. Bonnie went is at Killarney Second Year School. She's the Indigenous Education Enhancement Worker, and she's kind enough to join me this afternoon. Bonnie, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing wonderful. How about you? I am great, and I'll tell you what, the uh, article that came out in the Vancouver Sun filled my heart because I saw what you're doing for so many kids at this school, Um, but I want to get into this, so I want to kind of walk this right back to the beginning when you first started making lunches and making meals for kids who really can't afford it. Yeah, well, it just started out that 
I started out just bringing little things, and then I started, the, the kids started talking, talking to each other and saying, hey, Mrs. Went upstairs has free food. And, oh, my gosh, it went from stealing my husband's beer fridge out of the out of the garage and then scooping a microwave and a toaster and you know it just grew and i was so blessed to have vancouver adopt a school i was just phoning anybody and everybody and i happened to phone one of them mm-hmm. and the vancouver adopt a school program heard of my need like three years ago and this is the third time they've sponsored my group. I have a fridge. I'm able to fill it with food. My students come for breakfast. They can come for lunch. They can come and take a pack home for the weekend if times are rough, because it is. It's rough out there, and especially this time of year. Bonnie, let me ask you. I mean, you assume that when you're when there's a kid in need, that they're not just going to come up to you and say, "Hey, I'm in in peril, or I'm in trouble, or my family's got no money." They kind of tiptoe around the issue. How do you identify the kids that need your help, and and how do you give them the confidence to stick around and not feel any shame in asking for food? Well, you know, there are some some that are shy to come in. And some were very shy to come in. And I take the food. They can come in before lunch. They can come in before school, before anybody comes in, take what they want. And then they can nuke it in the, in the microwave in the cafeteria if they wish. Or they can just come and take food and go elsewhere. Several do do that. And I'm okay with that. They, all, I say, all I say is you have to be hungry and you have to be polite. I think you that's... Know, just, the second one I agree with wholeheartedly. I wish we didn't have to even talk about the first one. Uh, Bonnie, yeah. cor- correct me if I'm wrong. You get some of your meals from a Loving Spoonful, which, of course, is a, a Vancouver-based community kitchen. Do you work with those guys? Yes, I do. I buy. I purchase my meals from them, and they are so good because, you know what, kids come in, and I'm just like I nuke a whole bunch of different kinds of food. They make, like, pasta. They make um, Asian dishes. The kids love the meatballs and mashed potatoes or meatballs and spaghetti. And through them, I'm able to create, instead of having to cook every day, I just utilize my new, my microwave. And God bless our poor engineer, man. The kids forget they can't have the kettle and the, uh, the microwave going at the same time because you blow a breaker. And that poor engineer, he's up shaking his head at me. I'm like, sorry, sorry, it's going to be the last time. But it isn't. <laughs> you know what? I, I love the fact that you use the term nuked. I, I feel like that's a long lost term when it comes to microwaves. I'm so glad to hear it again. It's been a while. What, Bonnie, what gave you such a big heart? It seems like you've been at this for a while. Uh, I know you've only been at Killarney since 2019, but were you always like this even as a kid? Did you have a great I, family? Or Tell me a little bit about oh, you. Well, I grew up on a farm in Hagelget, BC, a small northern community, and my mom used to have this humongous garden and all the ladies of the village would come and work on the garden do the gardening and in the fall they'd come and get and they'd share my mom would share her bounty and you know we always had little pet bunnies and pet goats and sheep and lambs and you know we always wondered why they all ran away in the fall until we grew older 
<laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I know, but hey, we sure had wonderful meals. Correct me if I'm wrong. That little town's not far from Hazleton. Is Hazeltown, the Hazleton, Hazleton the big town? Yeah. yeah I, I, I don't know how I knew that, but I knew that. Hazleton, it's between New Hazleton and Old Hazleton. Yeah. <laughs> so you're prime Hazleton's where you're at. Well, I, I just wanted to bring you on today because I think there's a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, they always attach a stigma with going and getting assistance from people. And I just think what you're doing is extremely special. I'm assuming that there's other people at other schools that are looking at what you're doing, thinking, man, maybe Absolutely. we could do that as well. So uh, thank you for everything school, you do. I've been with the school board since 1994. And I had a program at Britannia. I was there for 22 years. And I would like, just really like to thank, you know, Loving Spoonful, thank especially the Vancouver Sun Adoptive School who donated $19,000 to my program. This is the third year. And the need is just doubling, you know. And I would really like to see our mayor, Ken Sim, our Premier BC, David Eby, and the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, step up and donate to wonderful programs that help feed the kids, like Vancouver Sun Adopt a School Program and Loving Spoonful, you know? Yes, and I'm glad that you called them out. Yes, yes. Once, Ken, once, once Ken's me. done with the park board stuff, maybe he'll turn his sights onto you. I appreciate it, though. <laughs> Bonnie, thank you for your time today. Let's speak again. Oh, thank you. God bless you, and you have a great Christmas. Bob Fain for Jill till about 3 o'clock, six minutes after 1 here on a Friday. Hope your weekend is starting off well. Um, you know, this report that came out of Simon Fraser University the other day, when it came to uh, teen mental health struggles, really hit home to me. I have two kids. One of them just left those teenage years. The other one is just finishing up. But when you think that there is an urgent need for mental health supports and interventions across this province, according to this report from Simon Fraser University, it really does raise your eyebrows and make you wonder just what we can do to help these children. And yes, teenagers are still, in my estimation, children for the most part. Dr. Hasina Sam is an assistant professor of health sciences out at SFU, kind enough to join me here on the Joe Bennett Show. Uh, doctor, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me, Rob. Well, thank you. And, and, and the first thing that I want to get into is, is just the quality of the report. I had a chance to read through most of it, and I thought it was just a really well-constructed uh, report that I think is going to allow some people get to some answers and to some progress. But the one thing that really stood out to me um, was one of the many analytic that came through, trust in institutions, the percentage of youth who agreed a little or a lot with all of the above. So science got nearly 70%, but failing grades for the police, the justice system, the school system, the government, the media, and major corporations. Trust is kind of the backbone of uh, feeling good about yourself and, and not feeling like the world's on its side. Uh, do any of those numbers catch you by surprise? Hi, yeah, Rob, absolutely. Thanks for flagging that. And, you know, in terms of the quality of the data, we want to thank the school districts and schools around the province. We had almost 15,000 young people take our survey, and that was really facilitated by those school partners. Um, and that, that um, participation allows us to learn directly from young people how they feel about the world, including their trust in institutions. And I agree with you. It's worrying when only 
a quarter of young people feel like they have a sense of trust in institutions. And uh, we really need to think about how we can do better. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to throw some of these at you and, and hopefully we can, you know, go back and back and forth on this. The youth actually agreed that schools do have a supportive climate when it comes to mental health, 50% experiencing high support, another 37% reporting medium support. So overall, I've got to think that's pretty good that when they go to school, they feel at least they can converse about their challenges. Yes, so mental health literacy in schools has been well supported by the Ministry of um, Education and Child Care, by researchers like Wendy Carr at UBC and, and groups at BC Children's Hospital. So I think we have been doing well, thanks to many of these groups, um, in sharing with young people how they can talk about mental health. Um, although I think we still have uh, more that we can do in that, in that regard. Absolutely. And before we get into the real data, students who started school at 9 in the morning or later actually had significantly better mental health and well-being? Yes, it's so true. Uh, young people, especially adolescents, from a developmental perspective, they need their sleep. Um, and, and they need to sleep a little bit more in the mornings than, than maybe some of the rest of us. And so uh, we, we know this um, generally in the data, and it really showed here in British Columbia as well. Uh, young people whose schools have later start times do better. They have a better sense of um, school belonging. They have better mental health outcomes. So it's it's not easy. I know there's uh, a lot of considerations in, in determining when a school starts, what buses are available, school hours and unions. Um, but from the data, we can see that it is really supportive to have a later start time for, for young people. You know, this is another number that caught me by surprise. More than a third of the teens that were surveyed, and you said 15,000 teens, more than a third of them reported needing but not seeking professional mental health care over the last six months. That's a big number. Yeah, we were concerned to see that um, more about 38% of our youth uh, were screening positive for generalized anxiety and depression. Those are pretty high numbers. So there's certainly a need um, and and the supply uh, really isn't meeting that need. And there are great initiatives out there, boundary centers, integrated child and youth teams uh, developing at various school districts. But certainly uh, I would say that while we certainly need to ramp up mental health services, and I think in some ways we are as a province, what we really need to focus on is thinking about the determinants of mental health and mental well-being. So just like there are a lot of things we can do to support our physical well-being, there are things we can do to support our mental well-being. Dr. Hasina Samchi, uh, Senior Scientist in Population and Mental Well-Being at the BC Centre of Disease Control here on the Jill Bennett Show on CKNW. Um, substance use, doctor, is also something that I flagged. And uh, the question that was asked, have you ever had alcohol or have you had alcohol in the past four weeks? These were the highest numbers of the category that included cannabis, vapes, tobacco. More than 55% of teens admitted, yes, I've had alcohol, uh, you know, as a child. And then in the past four weeks, one out of four kids said, yeah, I've had a drink. That's right. So these numbers are actually not surprising when it comes to alcohol. Um, They are actually not increasing. So that's promising. Um, but really what we need to make sure that we do is um, provide, make sure uh, that there aren't harms coming out of young people using and also see if there are ways we can um, delay the uh, start of um, any kind of substance. What was the one thing that caught you by surprise? Like I, I've told you a few of the numbers that kind of stuck out to me, but as a person that really delved into this report, what was one thing you came away with thinking, boy, I didn't expect to see that in the report? 
Yeah, lots of things. But one that I'll highlight, our lab is really focused on protective factors and what we can do to better support young people. We have an amazing group of youth advisory um, council members across the province who also inform every aspect of our work. One of the things that I think is so promising is that young people are telling us what we need to do to better support them. And one of those things is um, more time outside. So young people are telling us that to cope with distressing events, uh, physical activity, time outside, social relationships, music. Um, But it was the time outside that really made me think, hey, young people are in schools all day. They don't necessarily get that time outside that we know is supportive of their mental health and well-being. So how can we work to improve their time outside? The other thing was extracurricular activities. So these have been going down over time. So, uh, you know, I'll put it out to all of your listeners. What can we do as individuals to better support schools and young people? Uh, And that can include things like, hey, if you you know how to play chess, maybe reach out to your school and see if you can help start a a chess club. Uh, Volunteering as as a soccer coach, all of those things. And having young people have, Adults, trusted adults in the community um, is definitely something that will improve their mental health and well-being. I, you know, you bring up outside and you bring up all the things, you know, like activities. And I got to think coming out of the pandemic when all of our kids, especially teenagers, were stuffed in their bedrooms for what? One full school year and then it kind of fragmented in the other one. But I got to think coming out of that pandemic after being just cooped up at home that they've been itching to get outside for some time. So um, I'm not surprised by that number as well. A great report, doctor. Thank you for making me... Uh, a part of your afternoon and we'll continue to look into this thanks so much for your interest thanks for listening to the jill bennett show podcast can't wait for the latest episode to drop tune in to the jill bennett show live from noon till three on 980 cknw have a question or comment send me an email jill at cknw.com thanks again for listening